everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and uh, welcome to City of Lights again. uh, I love those who, in the spirit of ugly Christmas sweater Sunday, came to represent. I've seen some hideous sweaters this morning, absolutely hideous, and uh, it's beautiful today. There's an old adage that people used to say, say, God don't make ugly. Well, he surely didn't make some of your sweaters, so... um, Thank you for turning up and for those who are coming to bowl. Um, I just want to ask, just if you're good, just be good. Like, just come out and tell us that you're good on the bowling alley. Nobody, everybody just can't stand that person that you're like, oh, are you going to bowl? I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't really know. I don't know if I'm going to do it today. I'm not really good. I've, I haven't dusted it off. And then all of a sudden you bring out your custom bag. Come out and just have like a custom ball. You've got like the shoes that are like specially made. And then you come out and just murk everybody, Okay. Don't be that guy today, or gal, you know what I'm saying? You got those stealthy, top-secret bowl game. Um, But today I'm super excited, just continuing this series. Last week, uh, we began our series called Come to Worship, and uh, over the course of this series, talking about the different ways in which we can come and worship, where we engage God uh, with our body, soul, mind, everything within us, we worship him. And last week, we talked about lifting up of our hands, and uh, it was just a tremendous Sunday. It was just such a blessing, and they even just got texts and emails of people stepping out in ways that they've never stepped out before in worship and going beyond their comfort zone and experiencing God in fresh new ways. So uh, we hit on lifting up of the hands, and then uh, on the 17th, uh, which is going to be a really, really special Sunday. You're not going to want to miss it. I really encourage you to invite people next Sunday, particularly to come. We're talking about pouring out your hearts, and Kelly has prepared an amazing spoken word. What does that mean to, to not just you know, go through the motions, but really connect our heart to what we're doing and cry out to God? And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about bowing before him, bowing our knees to the Lord in worship and what that posture looks like. And today, we're going to hit on bringing our gifts Giving our gifts. What does it mean to engage the Lord with our giving? As we see in our chief uh, text for this series comes out of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 2. We see magi who had come from afar bringing gifts to the Lord. And I want to read again as we read last week. It says in Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Again, won't you say that with me? We have come to Again, we have come to we have come to worship him. They had come from afar to worship him, to bring something to him, not just get something from him. The Magi came to worship this Jesus. Now, when you read and continue to read in uh, this story, we see that as they were going to they were going to King Herod because they figured, hey, if this if a new king is being born, 
the current king would probably know a little something about the situation. But we see here when we read that uh, Herod was a little shaken. It says when, in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, uh, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet. And they, they're quoting Isaiah. They're quoting the prophecies of who Jesus was and what he would do. And what you have to understand is Herod got real nervous and he got really insecure. And he started getting really, uh, started having a panic attack because he felt his kingdom being threatened and his authority being challenged. And uh, he was not, he was deceiving. If you continue to read through the story, we know that the reason he was inquiring about where the Savior was being born was not because he wanted to go and find him and, and honor him and recognize him. He actually wanted to go and take him out. And he went at extreme lengths, incredible amounts of genocide to take out every young newborn boy, every boy, so that he could take out this king that was creeping in on his turf. And I just want to encourage you. This is just a little tip. At any point when you begin positioning your life, the whole of your life, your, your, not just your expression of praise and service, but your finances and your relationships and your career and your family, when you begin posturing yourselves in a position of surrender, holistic surrender and worship to God, those things that have previously been in authority and kingship over you are going to freak out whether it be the enemy himself, whether it be your own selfishness, your own lording over yourself, whether it be the people around you who have actually benefited from a codependent relationship because it's helped scratch the itch of their own insecurity, you will find when you start trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not into your own understanding, those things that you were leaning on before start freaking out. So don't be shocked by it. Expect it. King Herod's are freaking out all over the building this morning. Hallelujah. Y'all can speak this morning. It's okay. Just so you know, if you're new here, you can communicate. You can say amen. You will not be rebuked. Just don't cuss me out. You can compliment the sweater because it is fly. Um, thank you. Thank you from the front row. So we see it is, it is motion sensitive. Thank you. I appreciate you recognizing <laughs> the technological advancements of the LEDs in my, in my jacket. But the point is, it goes on to say in Matthew 2, chapter 9, it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that. It says they rejoiced. When they saw it, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It continues to say, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by the other way. I want to say this again. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They surrendered themselves. They fell prostrate and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Won't you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we are here as a result of your great love that was manifest in your generosity, in your giving. 
God, I'm asking this morning that you would help us not only to be reminded of your great love, not just recipients of your great love, but you would help us to be impacted in a way that it would transform us, that we would become one with your heart of generosity and operate in it. Lord, that we would give with great joy, that we would sow with great joy. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you read this verse, we really, we don't want to miss the significance of what is happening. These wise men, these men of, of wisdom and of place and esteem traveled a significant way. This isn't like they just traveled from Fishers to Greenwood and it was like, oh my gosh, like that was a long drive, Right? It says we, we recognize that these wise men actually were coming from Persia, which is now modern-day Iran. They had traveled 900 miles, 900 miles on camelback, not with just the camels that they rode on, but, but also they would often have camels or other livestock that would carry the things that we were bringing with them. So 900 miles is approximately the distance. If you were to leave here and go to Boston, it would be about 900 miles. If you would leave here and drive down, I know some people are going to be traveling down south to Jacksonville. It's approximately 900 miles. 900 miles is twice the width of Europe. This is not a small feat. They did not have virgin air. They didn't have southwest that they could be cattle herded into. This was a long and hard journey that they were on with a hope, with a hope that this star was for real and they would actually get to witness the newborn king, the coming Messiah. I don't know how many of you just step out and load the car with all of your stuff and your treasures and your kids, especially if you have a bunch, like, sweet Lord, like traveling with multiple children. I believe that there is a special spiritual gift that the Lord dispensates to those who have children and, and, and have children that want to hear really God-awful children's Christmas albums over and over and over and over and over again until the Christmas spirit has left and been replaced by a spirit of other things <laughs> that like to manifest. But, but this was a long and a hard journey with a hope that they would see the Messiah. And so they had stepped out in faith. And so you can imagine I mean, sometimes we get tired just a short, short drive, right? I've made that when we lived in, in Florida, in Tal- whether it's Tallahassee or Jacksonville, we would make that 16-hour drive from Florida up here a couple times a year. And you get off and you, you start with your great play mix, but then after about like the fifth hour, you just, you just like hanging on for dear life. And here they were. I, I imagine maybe after 500 miles, they were thinking, man, are you sure we should be doing this? We don't even know what's going to happen. This is crazy. We've got all this stuff, and we're stepping out here. And yet they came. And so you can imagine when they finally made it, when they finally got to the manger, when the star stopped and they showed up to the house and they went in and they saw the king, the joy that filled their soul. It says they were overjoyed. I love the way that this scripture uh, communicates. It says, for they, uh, let me go back here. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, they could have just said it was a really great time. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The Greek words that are used here, it's like a big compound way to express. It was a big, humongous, overarching, exuberant joy. 
in which they gave. They were happy. They were fooled with excitement for centuries. Not just the Magi, but many had hoped and prayed that a Savior would come and would save them from their sins. That a Savior, the Messiah, would come and restore and make all things new. And here, of all the people that got to witness it, these Magi show up. And you can't imagine the the explosion of joy in their soul. I believe Christians to be the most joyous people on the planet. Thank you. Five people. Five people are in joy. Are y'all with me this morning? We awake. Come on. If you can't smile on an ugly Christmas set or Sunday, I, there is no hope. There's more LEDs in here than we know what to do with. Christians should be the most overjoyed people on the planet. You think of every issue, every issue that we face, whether it be sickness, it be uh, financial lack, it be murder, rape, malice, any of the things that you would say, yeah, that sucks. It's a result of sin. And God hates sin. Why does he hate sin? Because it separates it from us. Who does God love? He loves us. Come on. He loves us. And because of Jesus, now we can be in right fellowship with him. So it doesn't matter what you're dealing with today. He is our eternal hope now and forevermore. And so that means for any ailment we have, we can know, you know what? I might not feel the victory now, but I got the title deed because it's in Jesus. And so it, it frustrates me sometimes when Christians, we just walk around like sourpusses all the time. Old Coach Randall over at LC, he used to tell me, because I, you know, I, I know you guys wouldn't believe this, but I don't really like to run that much. You know what I'm saying? God's helped with me. He's helped me out. Really didn't like to run when I was a freshman. I was in his PE class. I remember I was running. I was doing laps. And he said, hey, Owens, why you look like somebody peeing your Wheaties? Like, that was really graphic, but it truly depicted my facial expression at the time. But so often we can walk around just miserable, ho-hum, like we need unsaved people to encourage us to be cheerful. It's sad. And, and, and it should be the opposite is that you could tell of the greatness of this king by the joy that the Magi had in meeting him. How much more so should we as believers, having met the lover of our souls, having met the father to the fatherless, having met the provider and the protector and the healer and the hope for all the world, have a little bit of joy? Just a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Like you should be the most joyous person at your workplace. You should be the most joyous person at your school. You should be the most joyous person. It's not to mean that we're like anesthetized and we can't feel pain and we have to actually just play dumb anytime something bad happens. We can recognize that. But we can even say, it's amazing to me. We had, I was at a conference one time and, and they had pastors that we had to smuggle out of China so they could come. They are under incredible persecution. And yet they had more joy on than half the folks at the conference. And they know what they're going back into, and you couldn't keep them from getting out. We just went, hey, y'all want to just stay out, do some Bible studies, like reach a couple million people over here? Like, no, we got to go back into the fire. That's where the joy is, baby. There was an overarching joy. When we come into worship, like, we don't want to come in bitter. We don't want to come in mad. We don't want to come in uh, acting like all hope is lost. If we truly have the joy and the hope of the world, we should maybe tell our face sometime, right? If you're happy and you know it, if there's joy and it's real, let's put it on our faces. You see, we don't want to just be known for what we are against. We want to be known for what we're for. And here we see 
that these magi, they came in and they were overjoyed to bow down, to worship and present their gifts to the one who had come to save them. They were overjoyed. They were not upset to give. And it says they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We see this historically has been recognized that gold, it was a gift that recognized kingship and authority. That the frankincense, it was a, it was a gift that was typically used as frankincense was used in priestly orders to recognize his role as the priest, the king, the priest. And then myrrh, which was used in burials and embalming ceremonies, recognizing that he truly was born to die. He was born to be the unblemished, unblemished lamb, the unblemished sacrifice. Today, that's what I want to talk about is, is, as, as, we're get, as we talk is how do we come with this joy to give? And, and I know that many times we can have this negative muscle memory whenever it comes to people talking about giving in church. We cringe and we're like, no, I came and I lifted my hands last week. I knew I shouldn't have come this week. I should have waited until they were doing like spoken words, just singing Christmas hymns and giving me some hot chocolate. But I want to challenge us again not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Do you understand that people are going to abuse every single thing? That's what the enemy does. He cannot create. He can only destroy and manipulate and distort. And so there's not a thing, like, you can't tell me you haven't eaten at a restaurant and it was totally nasty, service was horrible, and yet somehow you got up the courage to go and eat somewhere yesterday, the next day, right? You didn't give up. Man, I forget food. Forget food, right? You didn't, you, I, I know some of you, you're wearing a sweater right now that is itching the mess out of you. You know what I'm saying? That wool sweater, you thought you were going to keep it, keep it cheap, go to Goodwill, and you just got the worst sweater possible, like, you're going to wear clothes tomorrow, right? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you're going to wear clothes tomorrow. Man, I was down in Florida for a little bit, and it used to freak me out how when it got cold, people, like, their, their, their sense of decorum just still didn't come. Like, you would see girls walking around with a big old, like, furry jacket, boots, and still have the sense to wear some booty shorts running around. I'm just like, I, I don't, you know you could have put on pants. It would help the situation. But the whole point is that we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We want, my prayer is, I understand, I understand how we can be and we can have these negative thoughts, but I want you to understand that this is an amazing and incredible act of worship that God is calling us to. It should not be neglected. It's an act of worship. It is a biblical act of worship. And so we dare not, if Jesus would communicate it with conviction and communicate it throughout the whole of the scripture. We should not ignore it here. And I want to help you. I want to help you all tap into the joy, the life that comes from giving. And we give not to get something. We give because God gave first. Because God gave first. Because love gives. Say that with me. Say, love gives. Say it again. Love gives. Love gives gives. The scripture says that, that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Where, where, where you can tell that by, based upon the things we invest in, the things that we placed our money in, our affection is sure to follow, or at least our priorities are sure to follow. If you look at someone's bank account, you can get a pretty good idea of the things that are valuable to them. I'm, I would be confident that if we would look at anyone's bank account, that you probably have some amount of money going towards some shelter for you to live in and sleep in. Would that be correct? 
Why? Because we want to have a warm place, especially these days. We want to have a place to sleep. There's probably a good possibility that, that if we looked at your bank statement, there would be some payments and receipts for some food Amen. on there in some way. Amen. Come on. Thank you very much. Second row. Amen. But there should be hands and bellies growing all over the place because we want to eat. That's a priority. There are certain essentials that are priority to us. And this isn't a knock like whether you have a comic book budget or not. That's okay. God bless you. Bless you in your comic book budget. I used to have one until I had babies and it became the diaper budget. But the bottom line is we invest. We place value. We invest in the things that are connected to our hearts and the things that matter to us. You know, I'm so thankful that we matter to God. I'm so thankful that in his love, we see that the scripture tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that in while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were sinners of of that God loved us so much. We know, we see John 3.16 all the time. We see it at, at football and sporting events. That it says, for God so loved the world that he... Okay, say it with some joy. For God so loved the world that he... Now, he didn't just give a tithe. He didn't give a nice little offering. He didn't give a love clap, a love offering. He gave his son. He, I'm telling you, I love y'all. I'm not giving my kids for any of y'all. Thank you. But he gave his son. He gave his very best. He didn't give a percentage just to save a couple folk. He gave it all. His love was relentless. It was reckless. It was, uh, it was just unfathomable how much and how extravagant. I love one author says the prodigal love of God. It was messy. It was abundant. It wasn't stingy. He gave his great love. He didn't just confess his love for us from heaven. He didn't just shout his love from heaven. He showed it on the cross. He showed it here on earth. Now, I understand that when we talk about a subject like this, I'm sure that there's many people in here this morning, and you just say, you know what, I love love God, but it's hard for me. The the idea of giving is hard. It's hard for me. I like to give some, but I, I constantly feel financial pressure. I'm constantly under this weight, and I get that. I love, but I feel afraid or reluctant and hesitant to give, and, 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 and I totally understand that. But one of the very first things I learned when I began re- learning how to read was reading the Bible, and particularly reading the Proverbs. I'm thankful that my parents raised me up and helped me connect to God from a very early age. And one of the things we would do is we would read a proverb a day. day. There's 31 proverbs, 31 days in the month typically, and so it, it made sense. It was easy. And as I began to get more proficient in reading, they would let us, whenever it was our birthday, we would read the proverb on the day of our birthday. And so mine was Proverbs 3. So Proverbs 3 and I, we got some really good reps. And, and I'm thankful for it because it helped lay a foundation in my life as a child that I still draw from and benefit from, and it's produced a great harvest in my life even now. Now, part of this verse is pretty universally known. As soon as I start reading it, it's going to become very familiar with you. But there's also a part of the Scripture, as you continue reading, that many people don't understand. It's it's meant to be read within the context of the more popular part. In Proverbs 3, if you want to turn there, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse beginning in verse 5, 
what we often know, I remember I would hear this portion quite often in various church services, especially when I'd visit my grandmother's church. Sometimes people would stand up and say, first of all, give an honor to God who is the Lord of my life. I'd like to recognize the pastor, first lady, the deacons. I'd like to thank the Lord for allowing me to praise him one more time. Let me say the scripture reading of the day, Proverbs 3, chapter f- verse 5. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to your own understanding. But it goes on to say, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, we stop there. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. There's going to be some things in life that you're not going to understand. There's going to be some things that God's going to call you to that's going to go beyond normal, carnal uh, understanding. You're not going to have everything laid out, planned out for you, and yet he's calling us to trust him. Lean not into your own understandings. In all our ways, acknowledge him. In all our ways, honor him, recognize him, submit to him, and saying that he will make our path straight. So, yes, we, we love that. We want to trust in you. But then it goes on to say, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. We love, especially when the chips are down, especially when we're trying to get out of a situation or something feels uncomfortable, we want to lean in unto our own preference. We want to manage things because it makes us feel safer. He's saying, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you know better than God does. Wasn't that the trouble in the garden? When we look at Adam and Eve and the, and the serpent came to deceive, the enemy came to deceive, he came with that position of, wait a second, Did he really say that? Did God really say that? Is his way really the best way? He's just trying to withhold from you. The scripture exhorts us, Solomon exhorts us here in the passage, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. He just told us, this just came in the context of him saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in view of that exhortation, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Why? Because he knows the things we trust in. He knows the things we trust in. Like, I don't care what your motives are this morning. God knows the heart. He made you. He knows the temptation. There is no temptation that is uncommon. And he knows the way that money tries to prey upon us and and create a false sense of security. It's amazing how easy it is for people who don't have a lot of money to cry out to God and feel desperate. Y'all hear me this morning. And then all of a sudden when the bank account gets fuller, you tend to cry out a little less because you've convinced yourself Oh, I'm good. I don't need to pray for healing. I got insurance. Some of y'all did. You know, I, I don't need to cry out. I, you know, I know I cried out to you last year because of this, but my car's working now. And I got good car insurance. I got a little extra in the bank. It's amazing how we, we stop crying out to God and we get wise in our own eyes. He's calling us to honor the Lord, to trust in him, to honor him with our wealth. And, and what we see here is when it talks in verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth of the first fruits of all your produce. 
What does that word mean? We see this word, first fruits. It's also paralleled in Malachi and another place in the Old Testament. We see it affirmed in Matthew 23, 23 by Jesus and, and written in other portions of the New Testament. This concept of the first fruits is the concept that we know as the tithe. Everybody say the tithe. The tithe is a Hebrew word. It's ma'aser, which literally means a tenth. The first tenth of our resources. It's not our last and worst. It's our first and our best. That whenever God brings increase, whenever we come into increase, that we give a tithe, a tenth of what the Lord has blessed us with, and we, and we steward that. We have to understand that 100% of what we've been given belongs to the Lord. 100% belongs to the Lord, and he entrusts us. We offer up 10% as an as a act of worship, and we steward the other, 20, the other 90%. Now, I know as soon as some of you hear this, you could just think, there is no way I'm falling for that one. There's no way. I could never do that. I can barely make ends meet now. I'm thinking about filing for bankruptcy. And yet again, I remind us of Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. Sometimes the kind of love and the generosity and the joy God's called us to walk in doesn't make sense. Do you think it makes sense that you serve a God who claimed to be, claimed to be God, died, we claim that he rose again, and somehow because he taught it to 12 guys, we found out about it now? If you got faith for that, why are you going to stop at your finances? You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all just prayed that God was going to align your spine and you're like trying to negotiate, well, I don't know if you really meant to talk about money. What's first fruits? Is it like the first fruit that I eat, that I buy, that from the grocery store? He's calling us to trust him, to trust him. Malachi says to bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that it would be blessed. That we trust God, that there's a blessing that comes when we, when we trust God and we allow him to be Lord. There's one thing, it's one thing to say it. The scripture says that many confess an undying love, but a faithful friend who can find. Many people confess surrender, but when it comes to affecting the things that matter most to us, what really is king, we talked about Herod earlier. All of a sudden, Herod starts welling up in our pockets. Herod starts welling up in our spirit. Oh, but what about that time that that person, what about that crook, what about this person? God is calling you to let go of the fear, not function out of fear, but be reminded because love gives. We don't give out of compulsion. We give out of a heart of love because God loved first. Christ loved first, and as a result of that love, he gave. And I just want to also deal with a myth. Like a lot of times people say, I'm too broke to give. Here's a newsflash for you. No matter how much money you make, that same lie will come to you. No matter how much money you make. You think it's hard to give when you are like tithing on like $500? Imagine when you're tithing off of $500,000 because I believe God's going to bless you. Some of you are going to have some incredible inventions and ideas and technologies. And somebody in here can make an app. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. But you try to write that check, that tithe check for $500,000, see if the devil doesn't just go, ah! <laughs> Don't mess with my boats! Ha! You will never make enough money that all of a sudden your flesh is going to feel comfortable surrendering your resources to the Lord. I, I, I am, some of the fondest memories that I have, you know, we grew up, in my, in my family, 
you know, we were probably, growing up, we were more on the lower income of things, and that was okay. I never felt lack. You know, as a kid, I didn't know rich, poor. We were blessed. And, but one of the things that I really appreciated is that no matter how little or however much we had growing up, my parents always exhorted me and challenged me in the way that we trusted God with our finances. That they would actually bring us into the conversation and say, hey, we, we need to pray. We need to ask God to show up in this area. And time and time again as a child, I got to see God respond. As we worshiped him with the little, I remember going to church and if I was sitting next to my mom or sitting next to my grandmother, sometimes my grandmother, she said, hey, what do you have to give? And I didn't have anything. I just had my G.I. Joes that I brought along, you know, for the fifth service of the week. <laughs> and, and she would just hand me, she'd reach into her little pocketbook and hand me some coins. She said, don't ever show up to church empty-handed. Always come with something to give. That we want to come, we want to posture our hearts, put to death old, old mindsets, old negative thoughts, and come to see what his word says and respond accordingly. As we do this, as you begin to walk in this kind of biblical generosity, as we begin to walk in the biblical disciplines of giving, and giving not just our worst, again, not our worst and our last, but our first and best. I like to say it this way. We bring our first and our best, and we trust God to do the rest. That we trust God that 90% with the blessings of God is far better than 100% with our own means and our own own control. That we don't want to bring our leftovers. I'm not just going to take care of all these other things, give money to Uncle Sam, give money to Verizon, give money to Netflix, and then just try to toss Jesus some scraps like he's a dog I'm just going to throw a couple bones to at the end of the month. Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Is he worthy of our best, then we ought to bring it into the storehouse. When we see the storehouse, it's a picture of the local church where we come and we worship and are spiritually fed, where we eat spiritual bread and experience life together to make a difference in our city and around the world. I love to give. I do. I'm thankful for that foundation, whether it was when we were at home growing up and God would bless us with more gifts than we know what to do with because of uh, you know, we, I'm thankful. I'm, I know this is, can be a controversial subject, as though money isn't controversial enough. Whether or not Santa is real or not can be a controversial subject. And I try to, I mean, our kids know there is no Santa. If you're a kid in here and you just found that out, I'm sorry. If you're a parent in here, I'm sorry. You can email me later. Uh, and I, but I've tried to keep my kids from being like those jerky kids who go up and be like, you know, Santa's not real. <laughs> um, and they sound just like that, especially Judah. Um, but the thing that I appreciated about our parents not engaging in the Santa myth is because it taught us to appreciate and give thanks to God for whatever we had. And so that actually came in really handy when I was a hungry and struggling musician in Nashville trying to make ends meet. And I had that foundation that it doesn't matter what else is going on. It doesn't matter how little I think I have. I'm going to honor God because the last person I want to steal from is the very person that all my blessing comes from in the first place. And the only way I'm going to get out of the situation is going to come through him. So I place my trust in him. And, I, and, and we've seen God time and time again bless. There's never been a time. The scripture says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. I have seen God so many times come into the clutch 
not because we hoarded our wealth, but because we gave even when it hurt. I remember there was a time we were living in Tallahassee. We were getting ready to have our second child, and some friends of ours had relocated. And we were, you know, we, my wife was doing, we had been doing some campus ministry. We were working at this church plant. Uh, it, was, it was about, it was a growing church. And um, I remember it was Christmas. Or actually, I don't know if it, it was actually uh, the fall. And God had put it on our hearts to sow in to some friends of ours. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I, I, when the Lord's calling me to give, I kind of get into these negotiations. I'm like, Lord, is this just you or is this my emotion? Because if I'm going to give this amount of money, I really don't want to do it on emotion. I want it to be you. And, and so I thought, you know what, what I felt in my soul, and this is what was scaring me, is I felt like the Lord was actually cause, calling us to, like, step out and, like, help cover their rent for a month. Which I was like, Lord, I, I, we can barely cover our rent right now. And I'm doing this budget and we got a baby coming. And I just really don't feel comfortable with it. But I thought, you know what? Kelly, she was the one that had an accounting degree. So I'm like, if Kelly, Kelly's going to shut this down. Like, so Kelly was my fleece. She was like my backup plan. Like, Lord, I know I'm a little, I like to worship and I'm a little free and spiritual, emotional. But if I give this to Kelly, Kelly's going to shut this down. I was like, hey, Kelly, I got this crazy idea. I know it's crazy. Probably shouldn't happen anyway. But I'm just going to say it anyway because I think it might be from the Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, I feel like the Lord might be, uh, 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 boy, like all the Herods were freaking out of my soul. Uh, uh. You know, I was seeing like all these things that I thought about, you know, evaporating as I was about to step out. I was like, Kelly, I feel like we should cover their rent for a month. Uh, I think, I know it's crazy. Maybe we should just do like a hundred bucks. It'd be cool. And then, so I was just kind of waiting for her to like, shut it down and make me feel a little better. She goes, yeah, man, I just, I feel like the same thing, only I, I feel like maybe we should do it for two months. And I was like, Because ah! as soon as she said that, I knew she was right. I felt it in my soul. I was like, no, Jesus! I just want to say it on Sunday. I don't want to live it on Monday. No! She ando, Rabba. You're like, I mean, you just, I mean, you will pray in other tongues when that kind of word comes. And so we did. We stepped out. And I remember I was just kind of like, Lord, oh, my gosh, Lord, Hanna, I don't know what I'm doing. And I tell you what, if not within two weeks, we had somebody who had been just sowing monthly just a small amount towards our ministry and our outreach on the campus, that they called us up and they said, um, hey, God just really put it on my heart. God bless me. It was a great year. Um, I got a significant bonus, and uh, I just want to give this to you guys. Like, I just want to bless you. When I tell you, it was three times as much as we gave to that other family. Now, somebody can praise. I mean, I cut a step on that. Richie wasn't ready. He wasn't ready, or we would have taken it. I'm going to go ahead and have the praise team come up now. Go ahead and come up, because I need to shut this down. And I don't say that. To tell you guys, you know, hey, it's not about, like, giving so that now, now everybody's going to try to get their triple check, you know, like you try to kind of fudge your taxes so you get a better return. But what I want to challenge us in is not just, it's not just about our finances. It's about the ultimate gift, which is the whole of our lives. A lot of times we say 
God, I surrender my life to you, but we really mean is I just surrender the things that I can't deal with and some of these other areas that I'm afraid of, I'm going to hold on to them for a little while. Romans 12 exhorts us, and, you know, if you ever had a reason, if you ever had a church hurt or you ever had cynicism towards the church, you would love Paul because Paul was a persecutor. Before he came to faith in Jesus, he was a persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians. He tortured them, killed them, hunted them down. And yet God did a radical transformation in his life, and it caused him to write these words. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that we deserve death, but he gave his best. He sent his son, though we were separated because of sin, he sent himself and his son to pay the only, the only suitable sacrifice, to live the life we should have lived, to die the death in our place that we deserve, to rise victorious after three days so that all who would believe in him would not perish, would have eternal life. In view of this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And it says this is your true and proper worship. I know some of you in here, you may be so focused on the image of lack or the things that you don't have, and that's been a barrier for you. Maybe the thing you don't have is trust. Maybe the thing you don't have is, is a literal bill. I want to challenge you this morning, particularly those who call upon the name of the Lord and have been saved, to look upon his love. We give because he first gave, and he gave because he loves us. And love gives. We're going to worship tonight, today. We're going to give right now. And as we do today, I want to challenge you, everybody in here, whether you're saved or unsaved. If you're unsaved, you can still give. You give to charitable causes all the time. That little Angry Birds app that you bought, it was not worth 99 cents. I'm just saying, we give, we give to things. It's okay to be generous. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, it's okay to be, walk in generosity. But I want to challenge us to give. Maybe some of you, you're going to tithe for the very first time. You're going to step out. Maybe some of you, you're like, you know what? I, I want to get towards that tithe. Just step out into something. And as we do it, don't just do it to put something in the bucket or to, to look like you're busy. But I want us to do it as an act of worship. Hallelujah. Connect your heart to the heart of gratitude that God operates in. Connect your heart to the heart of love. You can go ahead and start playing in the background. Connect your heart to that heart of love. Cry out to him. Believe that what he can do, whatever you have, it's not, generosity isn't about the amount of money in your pocket. It's about a posture of the heart. So whatever little or much you give, be reminded that he is the God that can take 100% of however little or much that we have and multiply it far beyond we could ever ask or imagine. I thank God that even as a church plant, as a brand new church, barely nine months old, that he has allowed us to be able to sow into other church plants and sow into missions across the world. There's a church right now in Avon, in Bloomfield, 
that we've been able to sow to and see God miraculously reach the lives of those who are transitioning out of prison. There's people, there's campus, a campus minister here and campus ministers around the country that because of you stepping out in faith and trusting God, have been able to go forth and share the gospel. Because of what you have sown into, we've been able to be a part of God moving mightily in the Middle East and closed nations and places where folks dare not go except those that have a word to go. And you have been able to sow into that. And I pray that God's going to allow us to sow into much, much more. Not as we get guilted, but as we tap into that absolutely reckless love of God and respond to it. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Facebook, 